so honestly, do you like the little, little sparkly thing during that graphic? You know, it does like that little, like a little fairy dance or whatever. I don't know. I love it. I think it's cool. So maybe kids out there, if you like it, do all. Thanks for who did that. I, for people like me, I noticed those little things. So I appreciate it. Um, what's up? Happy Christmas or Merry Christmas to everybody. Christmas season. It's a good time of the year. So here's the deal. We are obviously talking about Christmas. But this Christmas, we're talking about the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four letters or books in your New Testament. All four of them. And we're kind of going through them, not just about Jesus' birth story, but about his life why he came, and why is there four different stories or perspectives? The interesting thing that I hope all of us can appreciate is this, that whether you're online or in person, all of us have a different perspective of what you're watching, listening to right now. We all come from a different background, different places, and we see things differently. If you were to interrogate all the suspects in my house on Christmas, basically just all the people who live in my home, right? Sometimes I feel like they're suspects because they're criminals. But anyways, if you just interrogated everybody in the Essex household, what's Christmas like? It's your house. You would get five different stories because there's five different. And if my dogs could talk, you might get six or seven. So, but you can get, you get different stories from every single person. If you ask kids, it's amazing, especially younger kids. All year long, it's like you try to wake them up at 7.30 or 8 to get them ready for school. And they're like, ah, it's too early. I'm so tired. And all of a sudden, magically, Christmas morning, 4 a.m., <laughs> Right? And this is 4 a.m. here, not like 4 a.m. in some other time zone, 4 a.m. here. And all of a sudden, these kids who hate the morning, oh, let's wake up, everybody, right now. It's amazing. From their perspective, it's the greatest moment in their life, possibly. I, I don't know. It's great time. Maybe from your older, right, maybe upper middle school, high school kids, not so much anymore, you know. All of a sudden, the things that they did love, now all of a sudden they double down on their hatred for the morning. So not like the kids, they double down. Like normally it's yeah, every day, oh my gosh, 8 o'clock. Now it's like, I don't care who's coming, what's going to be in the house, noon. Noon. I ain't getting up till noon. I don't care what traditions, holidays, nothing, right, until noon. So maybe from their perspective, it's a little different. In my house, I don't know if this is the same in yours, but my wife, oh, it's so magical, it's wonderful. I love this moment. Let's clean the house. Let's make sure the house is perfectly clean and the decorations are everywhere because that's what people care about at five o'clock in the morning when you're ripping open presents and trashing the house is that it's clean. But that's what she loves it, to make sure it's magical, it's perfect for everybody. And then for me, where's the coffee? Where's the coffee? If I got to be up, man, I need coffee. I need coffee. I am not accountable for any words that come out of my mouth, right, until you get that kind of thing. Or where's food? I'm hungry. Can we eat before we get to the gifts at least? Or can I at least smell the food? Or can I be eating while you're opening up your gifts? Like we all have a different perspective. And when you ask every single person, what do you get? You get a fuller perspective of what happens at the Essex household. The same with the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four perspectives of the most amazing human being, both God and man, who ever lived. Still changing the world more than anyone has ever or will ever in individual lives. God gave us four perspectives, four of this one, this one life because we needed it, because he needed it. Helps us understand him more, gives us a fuller picture of who he is and how we are supposed to obey, follow him. So it's a gift. It's a small gift and we get to appreciate it this season. 
The crazy thing is we're using, not crazy thing, we're using these four creatures, or critters as my grandfather would have said, but these critters up here, we got a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle, and they're representing the four gospels, the four evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Don't get too wrapped up in the symbolism here, but over the years, you know, 2,000 years of Christendom, once we've had God's word, these symbols have been used to describe or illustrate Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's gospel. The four perspectives, kind of from Isaiah's winged creatures or creatures in Isaiah, plus revelations, the, the animal, I mean, the, the, cre- the four-headed creatures, living creatures that are encircling the throne of God. So from those two different passages, people use these in architecture and Christian writing over the years. You'll see some pictures we showed last week, but also get some new, for, new ones for you this week. The lion represents Matthew, because in Matthew's gospel, he's the lion of Judah, the king of the jungle, the messianic king. And in Mark's gospel, he's the ox, represents Mark's because the ox is a, a, a beast of burden, right? It serves, it tills the ground, it works really hard and then becomes a sacrifice. So it's the suffering servant and Mark. And then in Luke, we got the perfect man, not the, not the bathroom or the banyo, it's the man, like the perfect man. That's what he symbolizes, where it kind of focuses on in Luke's gospel. And then in John, we've got the winged eagle, um, the bird. No, these are not the Chicago Bulls and the Philadelphia Eagles. This is just Christendom kind of illustrations. And so the eagle is John's gospel because he's the eternal God, like up in the heavens, right? So that's what they represent, four different perspectives on Jesus. And so last week we talked about Matthew and how Matthew focuses on uh, a Jewish audience. And so the Messianic king and how he fulfilled all the Messianic, Messianic, the Hebrew uh, scriptures, the Old Testament prophecies and promises about this king, this Messiah to come. I really encourage you, if you missed it, to go watch, it on, on, watch the video or listen to the podcast. One of the most amazing things about Jesus is that he did fulfill all of the prophecies. Dozens of prophecies. Statistically impossible. Impossible for one person to fulfill all of those, and yet he did. It truly is a sign that he is who he says he is, that we can trust him as our Lord and Savior. So that was last week. This week we're going to be talking about Mark. And honestly, this is probably my favorite gospel. I just think it's, I think it's his writing style that I like so much. You know, it has nothing to do with our names or the similar. It's, um, it's just, you know, I just like it. No, it's the shortest. It's definitely the shortest of the Gospels. And again, all of the evangelists or the, the, the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are often called the evangelists, four evangelists, because they don't focus on his birth as much as they do his death. They don't focus as much on his everyday life as they do the purpose for which he came, which is why they're called the Gospels. Because the Gospel actually means, Gospel actually means good news. So their purpose is to proclaim the good news that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he came to do. Because of him, we can find salvation in Christ. We can be made right with God because of what Jesus did. So it's good news. So they focus on the purpose, not just like in a biography of his day-to-day life. And each one of them, again, comes at it from a different perspective. So Luke was from a Jewish audience. Mark is going to be more of a Roman audience. And Mark is, most scholars believe he was the earliest, right? The one who wrote the earliest. We don't know for sure. Could have been second or third. But most scholars believe he was the earliest, probably writing between 80, 50 and 70, so that 20-year period of time, which would have been about 20 to 40 years after Jesus' uh, resurrection. So very close. Uh, Matthew and Luke could have known that Mark um, had already written his gospel and used some of it for their information, or it could have been that Mark used some of Luke and Mark's, I mean Matthew's. But then John wrote his much later, 
Um, after all, the other three had been written, John was the last of the apostles left. He was an older man, and he wrote something very different because he had kind of seen that they had covered everything else, so he focuses on Jesus as the eternal God. And so each of them are just slightly different. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do have a lot of similarities. They're often called the synoptic gospels, which mean kind of like the same. Um, but they have different unique things and stories as well that they show, share. Mark's gospel doesn't really deal with anything with the birth before, uh, of Jesus before age of 30 when he begins his ministry. Mark is, uh, again, he's the shortest. He's unique in this sense. And poor Mark, Marky Poo gets left out of Christmas, right? Because he doesn't say a thing about the manger, about baby Jesus or anything. Imagine what if, if all we had was Mark's gospel, what Christmas would be like. 2020, that's what it would be like, right? So Matthew and Luke start with um, the genealogies and the birth stories. John starts with the pre-existence of Jesus, the eternal God. These big prologues or setting you up for what's about to happen. Not so with Mark. One of the reasons I appreciate him. He gets right to the action. Dude, I love kung fu. I love samurai. I love action movies. Jason Bourne, John. I like any action movie. I love action. It's just fast-paced. Don't give me the story. Give me action fighting sequences. That's what I kind of like. Mark jumps right into the action. None of this prequel, prelog stuff. He goes right into the action. Notice what he says in Mark 1:1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. What? Maybe 10 words there? <laughs> Done with all the prologue. Let's get to the action. That's what Mark does. Very different than the other two. Why? Most likely, probably because he's talking to a Roman audience. Matthew focuses on a Jewish audience. Luke seems to go after the Greeks from Greek perspective. Mark seems to be going from a Roman perspective. Romans love action, love power and might. Think about like Olympics. Think about um, like Emperor Caesar. All of these things where like you lift up a person, a human who is amazing, what humans can do and accomplish and all of these things. And so Mark is coming from a perspective where he focuses on the work that Jesus does. That Jesus was busy. He was hard at work. And his power. Mark shares more miracles than the rest of the Gospels. About 19 or 20. That's a lot. Less, less teaching than, the, than Matthew and Luke. They're still teaching, but there's less. Um, again, Romans wouldn't have been concerned with the Jewish history of Jesus, how he fulfilled these prophecies, because they wouldn't have grown up reading the Hebrew Scriptures. And we know he's definitely not writing to a Jewish audience because he has to explain some of the Hebrew, like the Jewish customs that he uses in his gospel. Um, the word here for Mark, last week it was fulfillment in Luke, I mean in Matthew. This week it's immediately Immediately. It's a key word in Mark. He uses it 41 times in 16 short chapters. Immediately. As soon as Mark, something happens, immediately Jesus did this. Immediately the disciples did this. Fast-paced action, get-her-done kind of stuff. I like that. Americans, I think most Americans can relate to this. We like our stories fast-paced, quick. We have the short attention spans of a gnat or whatever, right? We don't focus very clearly. And so this is something that maybe you can connect with. Mark is full of action. Who is this guy? Who is Mark? Uh, he apparently is probably the youngest of the four evangelists. From what we know, he's probably the, you know, the most handsome, good-looking, probably the most athletic, um, just because his name is Mark. I'm kidding, okay? But we do know that he was probably the youngest of all the gospel writers. Other than that, we don't know a whole lot about him. We do know that he's the same guy in the book of Acts. When you read John Mark, this is John Mark, but they just call him Mark. 
Maybe we don't exactly know why. Maybe because John was a big deal, and so he went with Mark. Don't know. But his name was Mark. Um, also, we know that his mother's house was a meeting place for early Christians. Some people speculate that that could have been the place where the upper room Jesus met in the upper room. Don't know. Kind of cool to think about it. Um, we also know this that Mark self-reported about this about himself in his own gospel. In Mark chapter 14, he says, "A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled." Again, I'm from the south, so I say this word maybe differently than some of you from the north, naked. So he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. I just want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. So that's Mark reporting that about himself. So we know that Mark was a close associate. He knew Jesus personally. He had followed him, was a part of Jesus' ministry, eyewitness to it as well. We also know that Mark was a close associate to the apostle Peter. Matter of fact, Peter would you know, preach, teach, go around, and people would say, hey, Write your message. Let's, let's write it down. Mark, inspired by the Holy Spirit, did that. Oftentimes you can actually call Mark's gospel Peter's gospel because they were closely aligned. Mark was also a relative of Barnabas who in Acts was a key a leader in the early church. He's the one who made sure all of the apostles welcomed Paul, was the first to welcome Paul as an apostle. Um, when he was converted. So he was a cousin or a, a relative of John Mark, Mark. And when Paul and Barnabas go on their first missionary journey, they, they invite and bring John Mark along with them. But at some point, Mark bails on them. We don't exactly know why. And Paul is very upset because he bailed on them. And so later on their second missionary journey, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas wants to bring Mark again. And Paul's like, no way. You remember what he did to us last time? Like, Nothing. To the point where they actually spit I mean, split. <laughs> he probably did split too, but they split up. Barnabas took Mark and went on a missionary journey, and Paul took Silas. So we know that. After that, we don't know a whole lot about Mark until Paul, a little bit older, writes the letter to the Colossians. And he, in it, he's in prison once again, and he says that Mark is with him. He actually says that he wanted Mark with him because he's helpful in ministry. So yes. Mark made a comeback. He didn't, you know, I was hopeful for that because I was hoping he didn't leave like a loser in the beginning. He came back and Paul wanted to be a part of his ministry. That's what we know about Mark. So again, when you think about these four Gospels, don't think that they're different stories about uh, four different things. In every single Gospel, Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of Man, the King, and the Servant. It's the same, same person from four different perspectives. They complement, supplement one another. They help us. That is not meant to hinder understanding of who he is. It's meant to give us a fuller picture. Mark, again, does focus more on Jesus serving. Um, he's, it's a fast pace. He goes from one project to the next, one story, one moment to the next. And again, he focuses on more of the miracles that he's empowered. Think about it. In Mark, it makes sure that you know the Roman crowd would have known that Jesus had power over nature, death even, disabilities, sickness, could heal, could feed people. And of course, the ultimate when he was rose from the dead. So it's a, it's a focus because, again, the Roman crowd cared about that. But this mighty, powerful ruler who could control nature, who could control disease and debility, disabilities, demons, also was a servant. Again, the Roman crowd would have needed to hear this. And I think this is very appropriate for our American culture as well because we are taught Power, fame, authority, that's, that's what makes you important. That's what you strive for. You don't, it's not serving others. It's when you are served by others that makes you powerful. In our kingdom, in our culture, that's important. 
And in the Roman culture, it was the same. And so, of course, they connect with this powerful God who comes as a man. But then Jesus says things like this in Mark chapter 10. And I want you to say this with me because this is like a theme verse for Jesus. I can imagine if there was music to it. Literally, every time he walks into a scene, this would have been playing, like in a sitcom kind of thing. But say this with me on three. One, two, three. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Think about that. Think about the most power. Have you ever heard something like that after a Super Bowl, <laughs> NBA championship, CEO of a company? After the biggest moment in their life, hey, let me tell you, you know what the greatest thing is if you were to serve everybody around you. Think about that. The most powerful, amazing person ever said it's to serve. That's what makes you great. You should be the servant of all. And to a Roman culture, to an American culture, that goes against the grain. Christmas isn't so much about us getting as it is a reminder of he came to serve. So we should be reminded to serve. Matter of fact, there was a moment in Mark when he, in Mark chapter 9, when there's a big crowd and Jesus is there and they want to, imagine it's like at the end of one of those sports movies when they pick the guy up on their shoulders and like, Rudy or whatever person and they're like, you know, hey, this is going to be the king of everything, right? They want Jesus to be the king, the actual king in their day and time. And Jesus withdraws from the crowd doesn't want to have anything to do with it. He's like, no, I'm not going to be your king. And then he pulls his disciples aside and he makes sure he has a teaching moment, a very intimate teaching moment with his disciples. And he says this, Mark 9, 35, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Think about that in that moment. They want to make him and celebrate him. I mean, he has everything. And in that moment, not only does he say no, he takes time, and in that moment, to teach to his disciples. What a lesson. What a life lesson in that moment. To be the greatest, you've got to be the servant of all. In this kingdom, this is how things go. In the world's kingdom, it's who is the greatest is the greatest. But in Jesus' kingdom, it's the servant of all becomes the greatest. It's powerful. And that's why our big idea it follows, because Jesus is our example. It's to serve as Jesus served. Simple as that. We should serve like Jesus served because he is our example, he's our leader, he's our king, and he came to serve. And notice how Jesus served. It was sacrificially. He met others' needs. He, yes, he did these awesome, powerful miracles and kind of in a sense that like, showed everybody how cool he was, how powerful he was. But notice all of his miracles were to help other people, to heal them, to feed them, Never once do you see him using his powers to feed himself or take a pain away from himself. His ministry was a ministry of compassion, constantly meeting the needs of other people, physically, spiritually. He came to serve sacrificially. Sometimes do we serve to get something? Well, yeah, I'm going to serve because I know I'm going to get this if I do serve. Jesus didn't get things from this. He just came to serve sacrificially. He came to minister to the needs of others. You know the word minister just simply means to serve? All Christians were called to be ministers. Whenever we serve others in the name of Jesus, you are in ministry. So if you're a Christian and you're not in ministry, then something's wrong. 
And that's why it's so dangerous to attach a title to it. Reverend, holy one, I don't know, whatever you come from, whatever pastor, whatever title you put there. Because ministry isn't about titles. It doesn't exalt you. It actually exalts others because you're here to serve others. It's exactly what Jesus did. And he called us to be in ministry. How do you serve? Well, some serve through the church, right? There's lots of ministry opportunities that everybody can be a part of. Some serve through the church. And a lot of people, you see them publicly um, on the weekends. You see them greeting and, and we, we thank you. But there's a lot of people behind the scenes that you don't see. People behind a computer screen, answering a phone, um, with our kids, uh, our teens when the ministries are open, all those kinds of things. Um, helping us with all kinds of behind the scenes kind of things that you would never see, but God does. So thank you for all the behind the scenes work that so many do. Some of you um, were part of the, the program uh, Gifted with Love to help make, make sure we could benefit or bless all of those families. The families both in South Point, um, in Bethany Christian Services, and Beaumont Exceptional Families. So thank you for being a part of that. When you give financially, you're serving others, ministering to the needs of others. And as far as that Gifted with Love, I know that they're not going to like this, but I wanted to say a special thank you to the two people that, that put this together year in, year out. Wendy and Dennis Danville, thank you so much. Thank you very much for the hard work and the endless hours and times you put into this. They really do. You could have done it without them. Some of you served last month as part of Go Serve. You raked leaves for people that were in need or you went to nonprofit charitable organizations in the area and served. You know why it's called Go Serve, right? Because you don't have to wait till November. You can go serve now. <laughs> you can go serve anytime. Go serve the needs of others because that's ministry. When we put the needs of others before ourselves, we become ministers. Yes, to make the world a little bit better, to bring heaven with us, right? But remember there are good deeds, but our good deeds are not what we're here for. Our good deeds are to supplement and prepare the way for our good news. You serve so that we can share the gospel. Because people often don't care what you know until they know that you care about them. And so instead of just saying words, serve. Put their needs before yours. However, don't forget the words too. And that's what sometimes we forget. Yeah, we serve. And that's why the world is what it is, because honestly, there's so many good things in our country and countries around us that wouldn't exist today if it wasn't for Christians going into a broken, hurting world and serving. Hospitals, the unborn, fighting for justice for all, abortion, racism. Over the years, it's Christians who have gone into the fray and made sure that we served others like Jesus. And we should continue that. Not just to make this world a little bit better, but our main priority is to make sure we take as many people to heaven as possible. That's our mission. And part of it means we serve. And you know that service also implies sacrifice. It's not just work. It's not just I do things. It's I sacrifice. And sacrifice is difficult. It's so easy to say that we're sacrificial when I'm not. But Jesus exemplifies what sacrifice looked like. If you were to split up the Gospel of Mark into an, like an outline, you really just two chunks. The first nine chapters, Jesus serving, constantly serving, hard working, suffering servant, demonstrating his power, his abilities, but also teaching and preaching, serving others. And then the last seven chapters, it's his suffering, the passion, his last week when he suffers. Mark focuses on this because he suffered. A lot. It reminds us of how much he had to endure. He doesn't focus on the baby. He focuses on this man. 
who was beaten and bruised and suffered. That's Christmas. Mark focuses on the suffering servant. Even though Mark gets left out of Christmas, it's important to understand what he brings. Because sometimes we get a little too caught up with the baby. We get too little focused on the cradle instead of the cross. Notice all of the gospel writers focus more on his final days than his first days. We should as well. Remember that he came, and at the end, it was the mangled, beaten, broken human man, Jesus, that was nailed to a wooden beam. That's Jesus. Not a baby, that's Jesus. That's his mission. He ultimately served us and served everybody that has ever and will ever live because he died for our sins to pay the debt, the penalty that we owe so that we can find peace and joy and all the songs and things that we think and sing. So you can see why the ox represents Mark pretty well. Jesus served faithfully the needs of others. And then at the end, just like the ox serves faithfully, just works constantly, plowing the fields or whatever you need. And then at the end, they become the sacrifice, the sacrifice that we all need. Are you willing to become a sacrifice? Are you willing to put others before yourself? Isaiah was written, the prophet Isaiah was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. And in chapters, I think, 42 through 53, it's the suffering servant. It's foretelling of the the servant of the Lord that will come and suffer for the needs of others. It's pretty powerful. Here's a section of it, chapter 53. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man. Imagine that beaten, broken man on a wooden cross as I'm reading this. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. That's Jesus. That's Christmas. He reminds us to love God and love others. And to love others, you have to serve, sacrifice. Christians, we're not called to an easy life. We're called to a hard-working life where we put the needs of others above ourselves. That's why our big idea, once again, serve as Jesus served. He's our example. Not just the baby, but the man. I don't know if you ever read this book. It's called uh, The Luck of Roaring Camp by Bret Hart. It's like a junior high kind of novel read kind of thing. This is like an older version, comic version kind of thing. But this is a book that's been around for a long time. And, and it's, I'm going to get my Western kind of, uh, it's about this old modern town of old hardcore, mean, rotten, scallywags out in the West. This is the meanest, hardest place in the whole country kind of place. I'm done with my accent because that's all I got. So anyways, it's out in the West and these mean, tough people. And it's full of all men but one woman. Serve, she's serving all these guys. Her name is Cherokee Sal. And at the end of her life, well, she, she, gets, she, she gets pregnant. And she has this baby. And she dies while giving this baby this girl. 
So this beautiful little baby girl is born into this town, the hardest, cruelest, meanest mining town in the West. And these rough, nasty men look at this precious little baby and like, this is the most beautiful thing ever, right? And so they put this little bitty baby in this wood basket with a bunch of dirty rags and they look at it and say, this isn't right. So they sent one of their men 80 miles away to go get a rosewood cradle, whatever the cost. So they go get this rosewood cradle, bring it back and put this precious little bitty baby and those dirty, nasty rags in this beautiful rosewood cradle. And they look at it and think, wait a minute, those dirty rags don't fit. So they send another guy out to Sacramento to get some of these lace, beautiful blankets, linens. He comes back and now they put this beautiful baby with these beautiful lace linens in this beautiful rosewood cradle. And now they think, yeah, that's it. Until they look down and they, wait a minute, that's a disgusting floor that's underneath this beautiful rosewood cradle. And so then these hardened men with their hardened scab, hands full of scabs, get on their knees and they clean that floor until it's spotless. And of course, when they're done cleaning the floor, they notice, wait a minute, look at the walls in this place. And the ceiling is disgusting. And those curtains on the windows are nasty. So they clean the walls, they clean the ceilings, and they get brand new curtains for the windows. And they think, now, this is right. But they soon found out that babies like to sleep a lot. And they can't fight all the time because babies can't sleep when there's a bunch of ruckus while they're fighting. And so they stopped fighting with each other as much because of this little bitty precious baby. And they would take this precious little bitty baby in her precious little rosewood cradle and they would put it out front of the mine. So every time they would come up, they would be able to make sure she's okay. But then they begin to notice that that's a disgusting area where they were putting this baby. And so they plant flowers and make this beautiful garden around her. But then they would bring these little gifts out of the mine, like little shiny things or little stones that were pretty, and they would bring and give it to the baby. And every time they would give it to the little baby, they would notice how dirty their hands were. And so then the general store became sold out of soap, (laughs) shampoo, perfume. You see what happened? This baby changed everything. Hope you get the illustration here. This baby is intended to change everything. First, it changes the way you see things because you get new eyes to see things differently. And it changes your perspective because it changes your heart. And when it changes your heart and your perspective, then it changes how you live, how you treat other people. Instead of serving myself, I serve others. Yeah, it's intended to change everything. Let me ask you something. Do you know Jesus? Not just the baby, but the man, Jesus. Do you know him more than just you know, lights and ribbon and a sentimental holiday? Has he changed you? Because that's what he came to do. And again, from a Roman culture, from an American culture, we can look at that and say, I want to do me. I'm okay with who I am. And Jesus allows you to make that choice. But he also shows you a better path, a better life. So that's your choice. Do you want to serve yourself or serve the king, a suffering servant? And if you want to serve Jesus, if you want to know who he is as your Lord and Savior, then please text us, email us your name, and we'll follow up with you. If you're here in person, man, feel free to meet with someone. We've got a friend out in room C and D or at the point, by the main entrance in the lobby. Have a conversation. We'd love to pray with you. Help you take that next step wherever you are. May even be baptized today or we can show you how to have a baptism at home if you're watching online. 
Like this is what Christmas is about. Not just the baby, but this mangled, beaten, broken man who faithfully served and became our sacrifice. And Christians, that's the life we've been called to live. Are you living like that? Let's pray. God, thank you so much, first and foremost, for Jesus that reminds us of who you are, that shows us what you're like. Thank you for the gospels that we can understand more about you. And right now, God, I guess for all the Christians that are maybe watching this or listening that hear, God, that um, they've already said yes to Jesus, that I'm praying right now that we would be open to the Holy Spirit's conviction and say, God, convict us if we're not servant. Convict us if we're not in ministry. Convict us if we're putting ourselves above others. Convict us if we're not bringing heaven down by our actions and our words and the way that we treat and serve others around us. Show us in our lives, God, break our hearts once again that we would show Jesus wherever we go, especially during this season, that we'd be emboldened to invite people to share the gospel with others and to serve. And if there's anybody here that has never said yes to Jesus, then God, I'm asking right now that you would help them, encourage them. Maybe you were already convicting them and they can say something like this alongside of me, like, Jesus, I want to serve you. I I believe that you are who you say you are. And I'm asking you to be my Lord and Savior because I need forgiveness. And it's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. If you said something like that in your prayer, please make sure you reach out to someone so that we can help you take those next steps in your life. And everybody else, hey, have a great, amazing week. Love you all. Go serve. And we'll see you next week. Adios.